You're listening to Destination Country X, a KPMG tax radio podcast series. We cover key U.S. and foreign tax and trade developments that affect cross-border investment. I'm your host, Kim Major, a principal with Washington National Tax and tax industry lead for U.S. international corridors. We're glad you could join us. Enjoy the program. One of the hottest topics in town in the cross-border world is the U.S. foreign tax credit, and in particular, whether we're going to be able to credit Brazilian income and withholding tax in the U.S. under the final 2022 regulations. And now we're facing a new set of proposed FTC rules that loosen things up a little bit, but the question is how much and really whether that's enough. So as it turns out, Courtney Wallace and I are at KPMG's Tax and Legal Summit here in Mexico City and decided to take the opportunity to sit down with our colleagues. Joining us today are Roberto Sales, International Tax Partner from KPMG Brazil, and Carlos Perez Gomez, Head of the Transfer Pricing Controversy Practice from KPMG Mexico. Thanks so much for joining us. Really excited to be here in Mexico City. And the questions (laughs) do keep coming in around these credits in Brazil. All of them seem to be worried about whether or not we're going to get a credit, what that means for the U.S. and some of the other countries in LATAM also as we think about it. But looking forward to the discussion. Court, just before Thanksgiving, we had a new set of proposed foreign tax credit regs that as we say, loosened up the creditability analysis just a little bit. So let's unpack the changes because for some taxpayers, particularly those looking for tax credits in Brazil, although, as you say, certainly not limited to Brazil, even if they can't qualify for credits at this very minute, there are things that they could, I think, be doing right now to set themselves up for success later on the minute the stars, in fact, do align, right? Agreed. And just to level set a bit, there's several conditions that need to be met in order for a foreign tax to be creditable in the U.S., either as an income tax or as an in lieu of income tax. And while those conditions have existed for quite a long time, I think it's fair to say it's been more relaxed in the past. And now that changed in early 2022. Yeah, but I think where the real action is, is this net gain rule here in this new set of regs, right? We have this much stricter rule regarding recovery of significant costs and expenses, at least stricter as compared to historical foreign tax credit rules. And of course, the IRS basically looked at the scope of taxable income claimed by the foreign jurisdiction to see whether taxable income in the U.S. sense is being captured. That's the set of attribution rules. The point being that the IRS believes the taxing jurisdiction in question should have the primary right to tax income, right? So if we're testing income tax, like net basis tax, we apply the 861 ECI 42 types of principles. If we're testing the gross basis tax, we're looking to see whether U.S. FDAP and sourcing rules apply. And if we're looking at property, we're kind of benchmarking against our FRIPTA rules, right? But the application of those rules were also generally tightened, right? The older rules looked at predominant taxation under foreign law, which meant a lot of taxpayers were making arguments based on statistical data and how the tested tax applied. Now it looks like the test focuses more on the structure and concepts underlying the foreign tax itself. So that's where with the 2022 regs, foreign taxes, including Brazil's corporate income tax and withholding taxes came into the crosshairs. Yeah, and that makes sense, right? 
we're going to give up tax revenue only if we thought that the tax revenue would appropriately have been captured in the first place. But so court, we got in these proposed regs a little bit more clarity and in particular, a little bit of limited relief in terms of the cost recovery and attribution rules. That's right. In the earlier version of the rules, we had to have almost all elements exactly in line with what the U.S. rules had. And now we know that we need to have basically some of the same principles of cost recovery. So it's lightened the rules considerably and we can take more of an overall approach to do they have the elements of cost recovery that we would expect to see. Yeah. And we also got some safe harbors, didn't we? That's right. They've added Mm -hmm. safe harbors that give us a little bit more flexibility as well. So when we think about a certain jurisdiction, if we've got disallowed deductions, we can't have them exceed 25% of total deductions in a Uh, jurisdiction. Yeah. And then likewise, if, if we do it differently, if instead they put a cap on deductions, it can't be 15% of your gross receipts amount, or -hmm. if they choose to measure it by taxable income, then it can't be 30%. Okay, so it can't exceed those percentages. Yeah, so I think there's some pretty good opportunities there that we can have a little blending where before we were tied to what types of deductions we had. And so I think we've got a little bit more flexibility now. So, Court, if you're looking at that safe harbor with respect to the deduction disallowance, that 25% safe harbor, you really are not allowed to lump different kinds of income together to look at that 25. Isn't it like an income by income type test? Yes, I think that's right. So that's something that we've seen for a while in these rules, right? We need to otherwise be able to tie the income and the taxes to the types of income in the buckets. So still a little bit more work, I would say, to do to go back through those rules and just make sure that we're otherwise qualifying, even with the safe harbors. Okay. Very nice. It is funny. There's a little bit of a delay back and yeah. forth, so I can hear her um, out of my real ears, and then I hear her out of the thing, but I'm trying not to look at her because she's going to make me laugh. Roberto, could you please remind us of the elements of the Brazilian tax system that caused us the concerns there? Sure, Courtney. I think that the most famous element of the Brazilian system is that our transfer pricing rules are actually not aligned with the OECD arm's length principle. This is the most serious circumstance that we have here. But in addition to that, we do have rules that disallow deductions for royalty payments to related foreign parties and also other limitations to royalties deductions. So there are quantitative limits, very strict ones, for the deduction of royalties in Brazil. And other than that, we do have sourcing rules that are quite different from the U.S., because we do source services and royalties based on the residence of the payer. Your deduction disallowance rules, for example, with respect to kind of related party payments, isn't that 100% deduction disallowance? In some cases, yes, when you're talking about the shareholder of the company. Mm -hmm. And in other cases, it's a quantitative limitation. So you are only allowed to deduct up to a certain percentage of the net revenues generated by the IP or trademark. And this may vary from one to 5%. So it's sometimes very, very strict. If you're saying that it could be like one to 5% of taxable income, that's not terrible. 
if that's true, we get into those safe harbors under those particular rules. Now, if we're talking about a shareholder situation and we're talking about 100% disallowance, that sounds like we're kind of dead in the water, at least with respect to a safe harbor. Yeah, it's not 5% on the income or on the taxable income. It's 5% of the net sales, of the net revenues generated by the IP. So it might be even better than what you said. What I can tell you is that the calculation as it is done in Brazil is item by item. So you need to pick up each intellectual property item or trademark and compare it with the net revenues generated by that specific IP or trademark. So I don't know if we would be able to match that with the U.S. calculation that needs to be done for the threshold. Mm -hmm. And if we didn't, it kind of sounds like we'd need to go digging into the rules and the legislative history or the regulatory history of these rules. I just don't even know if that's realistic, because sometimes even though we do have statements in our legislative history, sometimes it's kind of difficult to dig those out. And there's always arguments to be made as to what those statements actually mean. But do you have extensive legislative history, official legislative history with respect to your rules? Or is that just kind of debate and press releases and things like that, which are different? Yes. Well, I would go with the second option in this case, because, (laughs) (laughs) yes, we are talking about when it comes for the percentages of deduction in the case of royalties, We are talking about rules that date back to the 1950s, so they're very, very old. And I don't think it would be very easy to recover that history. That's part of a system that Brazil put in place to avoid companies taking more money out of Brazil than they should, actually. We are talking about a time when Brazil actually had very strict regulation on exchange, on foreign remittances as a whole. So Mm. in many cases, I would say we normally believe that this was not designed only for tax purposes or mainly for tax purposes, but they are tax rules at the end of the day. So we do have this history, this old history, but I don't think it would be easier to recover that in terms of a, (laughs) a formal declaration of the motives and things like that. Oh, Oh, heck. (laughs) So, of course, since the beginning of the year, everyone has been hot to trot on. Is Brazil in particular going to change its transfer pricing rules? They had announced a change. I think, Roberto, we talked to you about that before. But when was this going to happen? What are we hearing in terms of the process of adoption. I got to be honest with you, in part one of this series, we had a chat with Marcos Matsunaga, and we're like, so what do you think? Particularly because you've had presidential change in administration. So we may be playing both sides against the middle. But so what do you think? Well, Kim, I think we maybe won't have to wait too long for that. Mm -hmm. We have been discussing this with the tax authorities for quite some time. We know that they have been preparing this new transfer price legislation for a few years now, start dating back to 2019. This year, especially in the first semester, after we had this new regulation for the FTC in the US, we saw that the tax authorities took the opportunity to push this new system forward and discuss it with the taxpayers. So we know that they have it ready. And we know that they are willing 
to move forward with this. This was actually something that Brazil did as part of Brazil's intentions to join the OECD, but it doesn't need to be exactly done within that context, right? Brazil can adopt these new transfer pricing rules and actually not join the OECD. It doesn't have to go altogether. So what we do know, like I said, is that Brazil has it ready and the tax authorities are willing to move forward. But with the change in government, I think that we can say now that we saw a change in pace. So maybe uh, it would take a little longer to see the actual rule coming out and this problem solved. What we do know, and this is actually very good, is that this new system is going to align Brazil entirely with the arms length principle and the OECD system. And also that this new system will address the royalties rules and deductions. So we are probably not going to have these problems anymore. We haven't seen a draft of the legislation, so we can't say for sure, but this is likely to be the case. Something that we had realized, I think, when we spoke to Marcos about this, under your constitutional provisions, if you get a change in the income tax rules, isn't it the case that the change isn't going to take effect immediately? You can't say, oh, well, it's the middle of May and here we go. There's a delayed effective date, isn't there? Yes, there is. We call it the anteriority principle. Mm -hmm. And this works in a way that if you have a rule that creates or increases a tax in Brazil, that rule can only enter into force in the first day of the following year. So if it happens, like you said, in May, it can only enter into force in January 1st of the following year. So this is one of the reasons why we were very eager to have something published this year because then it would be at least theoretically possible to apply for next year. But it hasn't happened so far. <laughs> we don't know. I guess we've been kicking that around a little bit. Even if you get that rule, I can't even remember what you called it, but even if we get that rule, so things don't take effect, let's say, until January 1st of 2024, maybe if we had something like taxpayer-initiated adjustments, that could be made by the time that the return is due that would adjust to arm's length for the 2023 year. Unless there was something very explicit that came out with respect to the U.S. proposed regs, I would argue that it's within your power until, when is that due? July 30th. It's within your power on that filed return, and yell at me if I did not get that right, to make the change. And once you make the change, you're taking the position that the amount of the transfer price being paid does reflect arm's length principles. And if you're doing that, then you're plugging directly into the preamble purpose that says we want to be sure that our understanding of jurisdiction over taxable income is the same as the foreign taxing jurisdiction's understanding of what is appropriate for taxable income. Do you think that that is a possibility or maybe is there any optionality Sometimes to apply arm's length rules in the past, maybe if the taxpayer could elect to do that. I don't know if any of those possibilities are realistic for Brazil. We actually have a prohibition, a constitutional prohibition for retroactive application of any law if that law increases the tax or creates a tax. 
but there's no such prohibition for a law that reduces the tax burden. So in theory, if you are a taxpayer that would actually benefit from the change of system, you could apply that retroactively as long as the law establishes that this is possible, which is very, very unusual. So well, hmm. when you decide whether the taxpayer would benefit, would that be net of a U.S. foreign tax credit or do you have to look solely at the amount of income that is declared on the Brazilian return? OK, that's is a great it? question. That's, I have almost 30 years of practice, and this is the first time anybody <laughs> has asked me a question like this. But, <laughs> yeah. But what I can say is that I don't think that our constitution and our law would allow for the foreign tax credit to take any part in this calculation, because it's actually not a tax or a tax effect that takes place in Brazil. It takes place abroad. So that would not be considered, Kim. Probably not. Oh, oh well. Okay, so it looks like then we are at least presumably a little bit stuck for the 2023 year. Maybe we're moving towards 2024 as the most realistic start date. So, so I'm gonna. Um, um, I can't even remember where we were. Can you hear the band? <laughs> yeah. No. I think we wanted to get Carlos's comment on this one. Uh, he is, is he on? Like, or is he right in the middle of the mariachi band? No, yeah. I'm here. Like, so I'm you here. guys, okay, oh, so sorry. So, so sorry. I, because I am not looking at, I'm, I'm actually, I, I can hear the mariachi band. I'm shocked that anyone else. Okay, so maybe, Carlos, why don't we do this? So I'll shut up, and if you want to kind of count to three and then dive right into that, Carlos. Yes, well, Mexico, as you may know, has really broad network of double tax treaties, including Brazil, including many Latin American countries. So, yeah, I think it's really relevant what is going on in Brazil, and I'm expectant on how they're going to transition from fixed margins to the arm's length principle. And as we refer, this is going to bring a lot of subjectivity to the matter. And this is not going to be just a legal tax issue, but it's going to need people from the financial analysis side as well as we do normally in transfer pricing, where we have to pick the most appropriate method. And it is subjective by nature, as you may know, transfer pricing. So I'm just wondering how Brazil is going to face this subjectivity in this matter from the tax administration perspective? I think that in a general sense, we can say that the tax authorities have been very reasonable throughout the whole process. They have been very open in terms of what they want, how they want to implement this. And actually, they have let us know that they know it's going to be a hard and extensive work in terms of learning to operate this new system. The tax authorities understand that the change is very, very big to the system, and they know that we need to learn not only the tax authorities, right, but also taxpayers, and <laughs> it's a joint effort to learn to operate this new system. So they are really willing to do it, 
and open to learning this new system? Well, I think the real issue, to be perfectly honest with you, as long as we're going to be talking about U.S. foreign tax creditability, is that we need to exhaust all administrative remedies if there is controversy in order to qualify the foreign tax invoice that we're paying as eligible for U.S. taxes. I mean, it's got to be a levy that it's not a voluntary levy. That's part of the eligibility for credits. So the longer it takes to get any kind of controversy resolved, the longer it's going to take for us to qualify credits in the United States. That's a really big deal. It's great that we're all learning, but we might have to learn a little bit more quickly. I, I couldn't agree more. And the reason why I think this is actually very, very relevant is that we don't have actually very good history of interactions between taxpayers and tax authorities in Brazil. Quite the contrary, actually. And uh, especially in terms of these very technical discussions, transfer pricing, regulation, tax treaties, there's not much that we have seen in the past of taxpayers being able to talk to the tax authorities and receiving answers and discussing openly the issues that need to be discussed. And the procedures in Brazil takes forever in some mm. cases. So I do agree that this is something that needs to change. If we are going to operate the system in a way that works, this is something that we really need to change. And the culture that we do have as a country to have these discussions uh, going on forever and ever, this really needs to change. Okay. So, Roberto, with respect to the proposed transfer pricing rules, as you say, they will have effect not only on the calculation of an intercompany price, but they would also have some effect with respect to the related party disallowances. Do they touch the sourcing rules that we've had concerns about? Because in particular, we have concerns about the fact that services are not sourced in Brazil as they are in the United States, which should be the location of the services provided. And as well as the source of royalties, as we know, in the United States would be the place or location of the exploitation or use of the intangibles. Whereas in Brazil, again, you know, it'd be the residence of the payor for both. But would these transfer pricing changes touch those at all? So, no, Kim. Actually, these new rules wouldn't change the sourcing rules for Brazilian royalties and service payments. But we actually had some development in this area because of the Brazil-UK tax treaty that was signed. And for the first time, Brazil actually accepted to be a little more flexible in terms of taxation of services, technical services specifically, and adopted a decreasing rate from eight to zero, depending on time. A few years down the road, you'll get the zero percent, which is actually the first move that Brazil has ever made since a very long time in the direction of adopting the OECD and the US model for sourcing, which is very good news actually in this sense. But the rate itself would ramp down over the next few years, but that doesn't actually change the source yeah, of the you're income, right. you, does it? Yes. The sourcing rule stays the same. So Brazil still understands that Brazil is able to tax everything that goes out of Brazil. So if you pay royalties out of Brazil, Brazil is going to tax it because the payor is in Brazil. And the same applies to interests and technical services, everything. 
But at the end of the day, this is the first time that Brazil agreed in a different way to deal with this issue, actually changing most of the tax burden to the other country, in this case, to the UK, if the service provider is located in the UK effectively. And Court, I don't actually think that that helps us necessarily under these attribution rules, right? I think for U.S. foreign tax creditability, we actually need the source rules to change because I would not expect that, whereas if we weren't taxed on it, who cares? That's under the auspices of a treaty, which I don't think we're about to get anytime soon, right? Yeah, I would agree because I don't think it saves us in this instance. Yeah, and... As we noted before, the proposed regs are going to have a little bit, there's a little bit of daylight here, but certainly not with respect to services. We only have some daylight with respect to royalties. Isn't that right? That's right. And when you think about these agreements that might have lots of overlapping services, royalties models, you can see where it'd be kind of a nightmare. But I think you got to unpack a lot of this and figure out exactly what you're paying for. Would you mind taking us through the outlines of that single country license exception? I guess it's a gift. (laughs) It's better than nothing, but I'm not sure it gets us all the way there. I would love to, Kim. (laughs) 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 See, if Carlos came to lunch and I could have had sangria at lunch, maybe we would have been all set. I cannot believe you guys are not hearing the mariachi man, which is freaking fantastic, but... I can't, can't hear that. anything. Oh, not, that's actually kind single, of upsetting. Yeah, not a single sound. <laughs> okay. I'm All right. So, <laughs> so Court, there's a little bit of daylight on royalties, isn't there? Absolutely. So they did provide us an exception related to the place of use for royalties. If the income subject to the foreign tax is characterized as gross royalty income under foreign law and royalties are paid pursuant to a single country license... So that's a good thing. But if we think about how folks normally do these agreements, they're normally bundled up, like we talked about before, right, with technical services and royalties. So they did provide us a little bit more relief there as well and say, hey, we're going to treat you as satisfying that single country license exception if the agreement separately states the amount of the payment attributable to royalties for use of IP in the country imposing the tested foreign tax. So The bad thing, though, is still there's a bit of a cliff effect. So if we don't get this right, or if we knew or had reason to know that the royalty allocations weren't consistent with 482 principles, then Mm -hmm. that whole tax gets kicked out. Okay, so let's unpack that a little bit. There's kind of a no harm, no foul type of principle going on. Brazil can say that it's the place of the payor all at once. If we say, hey, it's a place of use, and those two things very, very clearly overlap, no harm, no foul, we would have thought that Brazil would have had the ability to tax the income. So, okay, we're going to give you the creditability with respect to those taxes. But on the other hand, it has to be absolutely crystal clear that this is what's actually going on. So, on the face of the license, A, has to be a royalty because we wanted to plug into that royalty rule. But B, that has to be the only thing that you're paying the royalty for. And that has to be very clear under the terms. And so, yeah, you say like a lot of these licenses are bundled, not only with respect to the types of income, but jurisdictions as well. Right. Agreed. 
So it's back to how is that otherwise getting unpacked and do I need to go and change my agreements? And I, I think there's definitely a understanding there that that's something that we're going to have to do. I think the regs say that you can do that both as a stated amount of the royalty or as the formula specific to those currently ineligible that we're hoping to turn eligible royalties. And then I guess if you're going to repaper, you might as well do it jurisdiction by jurisdiction. I guess you then imagine a gigantic list of good taxes and not good taxes or good systems and not good systems. Because then if you didn't have that list, you really wouldn't know who to bust out. And I guess you would, by default, bust out every single, you wouldn't want to do that. What a pain. Okay. And Carlos, let me ask you a question before before I forget. So let's just say that we've got intercompany and we're required to then have an amount of royalty that we would see under the U.S. transfer pricing rules as the 482 reference. I think that means we have to have an upfront transfer pricing analysis, right? Yeah, well, normally these type of transactions, like the royalty payments, are based on, on an analysis of contract. So it's mm-hmm. normally a percentage of sales, mm-hmm. and that's how third parties behave. It is underlying the value of an intangible, but it's not required to value the intangible. No, oh, so okay. Think it would be enough to have like a parameter or a benchmark of royalty payments as a percentage of sales. Does that float significantly with respect to the type of intangible you're looking at? Like, is there a significant difference between a patent versus a copyright or a trademark type of intangible? But do those numbers, do they differ significantly as a practical matter? They do, Kim, depending on the type of intangible, but also... They vary a lot depending on the industry they are located. It is much different and intangible, such as a patent or a royalty in the pharma sector than in the automobile sector. So it is very different depending on this industry sector as well. Okay, so I guess if I were a taxpayer, I would be looking at not only having to do a little bit of drafting for an intercompany, a lot of drafting if we're talking about a repapering exercise, if we're talking about third party, but then of course you don't need a 42 study. Yeah, for sure. Okay. Court, I guess the other thing that I worry about is that there's a little bit of timing pressure with respect to these regs. I mean, there is, on the one hand, the ability for a taxpayer, of course, subject to some consistency rules, to elect to apply the proposed regs in this interim period between the issuance of them, what is it, November 18th, and then whenever the final regs come out. But you've got a limited, a relatively limited amount of time to get these payments that are going on right now covered under these proposed regs from the license perspective, right? Right. I think we only have, under the exception, right, until May 17th, 2023, if we want to fix things for payments that are already happening. Ooh. <laughs> and, and as Roberto say, I don't think that's going to happen. Yeah, I mean, particularly if you're looking at that constitutional issue and we're actually looking at the change not taking effect until 24. 
I think that's a big deal. But I do think that, on the other hand, gives us a little bit of time. Because if you do have kind of multi-jurisdictional licenses with third parties, <laughs> you're, you're going to have to repaper those. And you might as well start repapering them now because that's not going to be an overnight thing. And so if you're going to have a year, I think you could use that time wisely and usefully. All right, we're going to call that a wrap because at this point, all I can hear is this music. And I know, and it's getting louder. So, okay, <laughs> awesome. Okay, so it sounds like we've got a long way to go, to be perfectly honest, on creditability of the Brazilian taxes. Whereas this certainly opens the gate to some earlier benefits, earlier meaning as compared to never. I'm not sure earlier means... 2023 in particular. In any case, we will keep everyone posted. And for the moment, farewell from Mexico City. Be good. Stay well. We'll speak again soon. You've been listening to Destination Country X. Thanks so much for tuning in. We look forward to speaking to you next time.